Chin Music, our baseball show here at TalkNorth.com, is coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Thanks to our sponsors, Aquarius Home Services, All Energy Solar, and First Minnetonka City Bank. We're your locally owned community bank. Roy Smalley and Jim Suhan, that is your lineup today. We may be joined by Lavelle here in a little bit. Brandon Morton is your producer. This is TalkNorth.com. Best way to listen to this show or any show you like at our very large network. Subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's easy. Uh, a lot of things I want to get to today. Maeda, injuries, Buxton, Kirilov, Ober. Uh, but I think we owe it to ourselves, Roy, to note that the Twins won the season series against the Yankees for the first time since 2001. And the amazing thing is back in 2001, the Twins were just this upstart club that had survived. You know, there's dealing contraction, a bunch of young guys in the lineup. The Yankees were coming off their basically dynastic run. They almost won another World Series in 2001. And the Twins, those young Twins, beat those veteran Yankees in 2001 like it was no big deal. It was like, it was an AG, A.J. Pruszynski attitude team. It was like, I don't care if they're the Yankees, we'll just go beat them. And then all of a sudden, 2002, and certainly in the playoffs, uh, they, they earned and perpetuated a stigma every time they saw pinstripes. They played horribly. They lost games they should have won. This is the first time since 2001 they won the season series. Uh, you're good on perspective. What does that mean? You know, I, I hope it doesn't mean anything other than, you know, they beat a decent team in a series. I, I, I would think that these guys, the only reason they would be thinking about the stigma is because people, you know, bring it up and they have to, they have to listen to it. Um, I don't think they care. Um, but to keep it in perspective also, this is not the Yankee team that the Yankees going to be in July. Um, they've got a lot of guys hurt and, um, a lot of, a lot of pitchers and, uh, I mean, you know, key pitchers like Rodon and guys that were really going to make them, you know, potentially something special. And, and some players that are uh, hurt as well. So, you know, I mean, we had guys named Peraza and Cabrera and Calhoun, um, you know, in in the, you know, hitting behind Judge and in Labor Torres and LeMahieu, you know, that kind of thing. So it's not, it wasn't exactly the same team. Um, but, I mean, still, the... Um, the Twins pitched really well, and they got some. Uh, and it, the bats are starting to come around a little bit, so it's just a good. It's a it's a it's a great series win. Lavelle is with us, and Lavelle uh, Byron Buxton was told on Tuesday night after the Twins secured the season series against the Yankees. This is the first time they'd beaten the Yankees in a season series since 2001, and uh, his facial expression was captured. Uh, photography on, on a photograph and on video. And he looked like somebody told him that, I don't know, that uh, Santa Claus is a terrorist or something. He, he he had the most shocked expression you've ever seen. So I don't think these guys walk around thinking, oh boy, got to gotta win the season series against the Yankees. But it's still a remarkable historic thing just because it took this long. Right, right. The next is the uh, post-gate, the postseason losing streak yes. <laughs> to, the, to the Yankees, which... Uh, Seems like it's going to go on forever. Yeah, I, you know, it was weird because um, I remember that 2001 team uh, pretty fondly because um, they got off to such a fast start. They were 50 and 31 at the midpoint of the season that year, uh, and they were cooking. Um, and then All Star break came, and Christian Guzman uh, came back with some mysterious shoulder injury. 
you know, it's it was like along the lines of Rick Aguilera hurting himself, picking up a suitcase or some weird injury. He wasn't the same. They lost their mojo. I think you were covering a game. I think you were covering a game in St. Louis. I think Adam Johnson was starting, and TK like put some lineup out that had like eight hours of major league experience in it. <laughs> you know, and uh, it was uh, things went haywire the second half of that season. And the Twins ended up falling out of contention, but it fueled, uh, it, it set the stage for the 2002 team that you know broke the drought, won the division, and kicked off Twins uh, dynasties. Well, it wasn't the same dynasty, but it kicked off a, a, a ten-year run when the Twins won like six division titles. So it's when you have things like this happen um, when you win a season series against the Yankees for the first time in in 22 years. Um, it's good from a historical standpoint, and it's great for uh, bar talk or podcast talk. You know, for the people involved, you know, like Buxton, a lot of those guys were toddlers, you know, <laughs> when this went on. And a lot of them, most of them are not from here, so they don't have, you know, that geographical, you know, pull uh, to make them remember about what that was like. But um, – and it, it does say that every time, you know, eventually – Things will turn around, and all those years of the Yankees beating the Twins, the Yankees are down a little bit now. And I, you know what? And I, I still think the Yankee mystique is taking a little bit of a hit here because I had forgotten the last time he won the World Series. You know, I know CC Sabathia is mad about trash can year uh, against Houston because he thought that that was a good team that, that could have won it all. But the Yankees really haven't been that big of a threat in the postseason stage, you know, for a few years, and it's catching up with them now. Um, they don't make the super duper big signings, although they did lock up Judge. Um, they keep having they keep, their rotation, you know, has injury issues like the Twins do. This team is not like the formidable powerhouse that it was when they had the core four, you know, of like Jeter, Posada, Pettit, and and Bernie Williams or whatever, whoever you want to put in that group. So things have changed, and yep, the Twins are a good team, and they can pitch and keep games close, except for yesterday, and you know. Uh, they're, they overall, I think they're in better shape than New York right now. And I, I said this to a Twins official when I was talking about the Yankee uh, curse or whatever yesterday. We can't pretend it's not a real thing. The Yankees have beaten the crud out of them year after year, and especially in the postseason. And here's the other thing that I pointed out. 2006, last four months of the 2006 season was the best I'd ever seen the Twins play. They had Morneau as an MVP, Maurer as a future Hall of Famer in his absolute prime, all-star closer, ace, uh, great lineup, Torrey Hunter in his prime. That was a great team. And they win, the, and Lavelle, you probably remember the exact details better than me, but they get into the playoffs on the last day, and then Kansas City or somebody beats uh, somebody else in the division, which get, makes them the division champions. And so they go from not knowing if they're going to be in the playoffs to winning and thinking if they did get in the playoffs, they're going to be leaving Sunday night for New York to prepare for another Yankee series to playing at home against the A's. And they were so relieved they weren't going to have to win, play the Yankees. They were so happy about winning the division, staying home that they all got really drunk on Sunday night and they laid an egg against the A's. They get swept by the A's. So the Yankees even affected them when they didn't play the Yankees. <laughs> That's right. And if you remember, Jim, uh, the paper sent me to New York in advance of a, of a Yankee. We are still trying to dig out financially from that too. To 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 pick up stories in advance of a Yankee series 
that never happened. So basically, I got a free trip to New York <laughs> out, of, out of the weekend. And I think I figured out a way to use the interviews for like next year's preview edition. So, um, yeah. And if you talk to a couple guys from that team, they will admit that, you know, once they got got to end the regular season, they won the division the last day of the year. Uh, I want to say Kansas City beat Detroit or something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, that's right. And uh, they celebrated. He says by the time the, the the hangover wore off, they were out of the playoffs against the uh, against the A's. That was when Torrey came in on that Ray Durham liner and tried to make that catch at the dome, and they skipped by it for inside the park home run. You know, a little and Frank Thomas happening. jumped all over Johan. Yep, that's right. That's right. Uh, it was a damn good team too. They had Johan Santana on that squad as well. I think he won yep. Cy Young that year. Um, yep. It was a great team. Yeah, the Twins had a Cy Young Award winner and an MVP in the same team, same year. And an all-star closer and Joe Maurer winning a batting title. It was a great team. Uh, yeah. Let's get to back to current events here. Uh, I do find it really interesting uh, that, you know, as much as the fan base wants the Twins to push people to play through injuries and play more often, which is an easy thing to want, um, Kent, Kenta Maeda, they had every excuse to not pitch him on the Wednesday. They had every excuse to give him some time on the IL, let his ankle heal, heal up, uh, do whatever he needs to do to be completely ready. They go ahead and let him, let him start, and he gets absolutely destroyed, uh, dives for a bunt, tweaks his back, hurts his arm, and now, he, now he's on the IL. Uh, and they had a chance to sweep the Yankees, and Kenta just didn't give him a chance. One thing Rocco said after the game was he thought Kenta's stuff was pretty good, at yeah. least before, and and Roy, I want your observation on that. Because is Roy is uh, Rocco just being nice, or did you think Kenta's stuff was okay? I didn't like his stuff much. I didn't either. Um, and it, but his stuff is his stuff is his stuff. It's all about location, you know, for him. It, more than you know, more. Than, I mean, it is for every for every pitcher. I mean, location is is everything. But but for uh, Maeda, he wants to throw slider and split finger uh, 60% of the time. And he is, and this is like what happened. He had a great year, and then the next year he came uh, came back and, and wasn't, you know, wasn't quite the same. And the difference, the difference was slider spinning in the middle of the plate that guys were, uh, that, that guys were hitting. And, and, you know, he can't, he can't not, make great pitches with his split finger and slider and then come back and get back in counts with fastballs. I mean, he's, he, he, he doesn't have a fastball to do that. Fastball has got to be a surprise pitch where guys are pretty convinced they're going to get one of those, uh, you know, off more off speed pitches. And he, and he, he shocks him with a fastball. Um, he, and he just, um, he just hasn't, he wasn't able to throw, um, uh, strikes a good location or or close enough to get guys to swing uh over the top of those pitches and and you know he just he he flipped up some um, some ospy stuff right in the middle of the plate and they got they got hammered i you know i don't i don't know what i i don't know what rackles saw and stuff they thought was pretty good i didn't i i maybe it was that the you know the split finger was going was in a pretty good spot a few times you know low um, which I, I think was true, but um, you know that split finger's got to be his split finger. He's got to get chase, and he didn't get any chase. He, he, and he had to come up with his own with it, and and they whacked it around. So 
I, I think that it's been a while since he's had dominant command of his slider and his split finger, and, and that's that's a problem. When he is throwing his splitter and his uh, slider that's dropping on the bottom of the plate and getting guys to chase, as Roy pointed out, he could chew through a lineup, you know, pretty good. Um, but you know, when you're coming back from Tommy John surgery, what do they say? One of the last things to come back is is your, your really good command, right? And uh, I don't think he's at that spot right now because he's got to get guys to swing at that stuff that's tumbling out, out of the plate. Um, or he's got to try to um, he's got to try to surprise him with a fastball, which, you know, is dangerous because I guarantee you, you know, the book I made, made is like spit on the stuff that's dropping off the plate and make him come in with a fastball. I bet you that's what, you know, opponents are being told to do when approaching him. So he's got to have his pill plate control and he doesn't have it. And he, these warning signs were going on during a spring training where I went on the backfield and watched him throw. And the scouts were telling me that, his fastball is two miles an hour down, and that he was bickering with umpires about the balls and strikes they were calling. If you're doing that in a spring training game, uh, that's <laughs> on a backfield, on a minor league field, you know, to me, that's a little, a little troubling. And yesterday, I, I'm not in town right now, so I was listening to the game online. And, um, you know, Corey Provis a couple times said his fastball was like coming in at 87 miles an hour, you know, and that's three to four miles an hour down from what we've seen from him in the past. So this is all troubling. But at the same time, I think one of the reasons they kept throwing him back out, throwing him back out there, Jim, is that, you know, he's with 33, 34, and um, he's had surgery. It's, there's nothing to protect with him for the future. So I guess they're a little more comfortable with putting him out there to see if he can get it back. And then by midseason, they'll have enough information to make a decision whether he stays in the rotation or not. I and mean, that's, that's what my view is on this. Well, I think you're right about that, Lavelle, because it, it's yeah. I mean, you got to find out the guy's been out, you know. And I understand why his why his command wouldn't be, you know, why his velocity's down, his command's not as good because I mean he's he hadn't pitched against big league hitters in a long time. So I mean, I, I think it's you know, we're not making a judgment about yet about um, where he's gonna be, but the Twins have the only way they're gonna find out where he is and is going to be is, is by running him out there. And so, you know, they had, to, they had to do that. Good on him for going out there. I agree with you. Good on him for going out because he's got a, he knows that he's got a pitch and he's got to find it too. So, um, you know, unfortunate uh, set of circumstances here with the line drive off his shin and then come right back with, you know, diving and back hurting and a little shoulder soreness and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I mean, but he'll come back, and they're going to have to try it again. Yep. I want to get to Alex Kirilov next. Really interesting scenario regarding him. do want to let you know that they are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio, and we want to thank Aquarius Home Services. It's back. The Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut Customer Appreciation and Open House event is happening Friday, May 5th through Sunday, May 7th. Connecticut water treatment systems up to 30% off. Salt and water filters, 20% off. New heating and cooling systems up to 25% off. And bring in your water sample for a free water analysis. It's the Aquarius Connecticut Open House event, May 5th through 7th in Little Canada at 694 and 35E. Details at AquariusHomeServices.com. Thanks also to First Minnetonka City Bank. We're your locally owned community bank. First Minnetonka City Bank. We're your locally owned community bank. 
Phone calls are answered by real people instead of a never-ending voicemail system. Dedicated financial representatives who really care about your personal, business, mortgage, and investment objectives. First Minnetonka City Bank is an independent community bank that offers the same wealth of products and services as larger banks, yet provides the highest quality customer service that other banks forget. We take the time to develop one-on-one relationships with our customers. The same banker will work with you year after year, providing the long-term understanding necessary to tailor our services to your changing needs. First Minnetonka City Bank. Stop by or call one of our convenient locations to experience the First Minnetonka difference for yourself. Go to allenergysolar.com. You can find out about solar panels, solar energy, how it can benefit you personally or your business. Solar panels are the only home improvement project that pays for itself. Learn more about going solar this spring at All Energy Solar's free webinar by visiting allenergysolar.com slash webinar. And if you want to save money on your solar install, find out what incentives you can qualify for at allenergysolar.com slash coach, C-O-A-C-H, coach. So... What I'm hearing, so the, the Twins are starting to put together the lineup, right? Polanco comes back. He starts driving and runs. All of a sudden, they look like a much more professional lineup. Uh, Correa and Buxton haven't really started hitting yet. We would expect them to. Uh, Gallo has been really good. You can start, and Miranda hits his first two homers of the season on Wednesday. You can see start things starting to come together somewhat. Alex Kirilov is the easy person to bring up to finish off this lineup. He's been, he's been crushing it at St. Paul. And I know Twins fans are, you know, pounding the table to get him up here at this point. What I'm hearing is that there's not a lot of trust in Alex Kirilov right now. And, you know, they, they just and they don't want to call him up until he's kind of proven that he is completely ready and, and is ready to contribute on a daily basis and is going to stay healthy and be productive. I, I just sense a little bit of lack of patience with him, which is interesting because the twins are generally patient with all of their players. So even though he's killing it at St. Paul, I'm not sure he, he's going to come up right away. Uh, Lavelle, what are you hearing? Um, here's the thing, because he didn't play yesterday, so I'm trying to figure out that one. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the thing when Alex even mentioned this to me in spring training was that, you know, it's it comes down to how much pain he can tolerate. So even though he's had two surgeries in that wrist, he's still he's experienced something in there. Uh, I'm not in his body. I'm not going to call him out, you know, for you know not being able to play through bumps and bruises because we don't know what he's feeling in there. And it may be something that's, you know, legitimate that he's fighting through. But it seems like he's put up numbers at, at St. Paul. But to me, this is all moot because, to me, you can't call Kirillov up until you're ready to put Bucks in the center field. Because then Gallo's not going to play first with Kirilov's around. He's got to go to left. And um, and, and then Larnick is available for, like, DHing. But you're not going to – unless you're going to put Gallo in center or Michael Taylor in left, which I don't know if you want to go with that with the long haul. But to me, once Buxton's ready to play the outfield, then it's easier to kind of move the pieces around and get Kirilov at first base. So maybe they have some time to play with before they're comfortable with doing that. But, you know, their indications out of camp was that – Bucks would get about a month at DH, but I don't. We, we they've always kind of been a little non-transparent when it's come to actually telling us exactly what the plan is for Buxton. So maybe it's longer than that. Um, I don't know, but uh, uh, I think if if once I hear that that Bucks are ready to play some outfield, which I gotta imagine that's the goal is to get him back in the outfield, then you know Gallo goes out to left, and then our first base is available for Kirilov. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I, I I think it's a problem um, for um, yeah, in this way. 
and it's a it's a good problem to have unless you're uh, unless you're Trevor Larnick. I I would hate to see Larnick become the uh, the uh, DH against right-handed pitching. I, I I would hate for them to say to make the term, determination now for Larnick that he's never going to hit left-handers well enough. Um, I mean, it's so early in a, in a what looks like a promising uh, hitter's career. And if Kirilov is back, it's a it's probably a, a better defensive club the way um, Lavelle outlines it here with Kirilov at first and Gallo and left. But um, Larnick then is the <clears> – <throat> Part-time player, as they when they rest all these guys all the time. I mean, they can't play four games in a row without you know them thinking, "Oh my gosh, we better give them a little break." And and um, so it's it's good to have Larnick because he can go back out in the outfield and he can DH and they can run guys all over different places, you know, for rest and and all that kind of stuff. But I think that you know, I I, I think it's bad for for Larnick in, in that in that way. As far as Kirloff is concerned, um, I, I, I really think, and I don't know anything about this, but what it appears to me is that they're frustrated with him that he can't, I mean, that, that he can't play with seemingly, it seems like they're frustrated he can't play with any kind of pain in his wrist, even though there's nothing wrong. And as Lavelle says, it's, it's um, you know, pain tolerance and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to get into that uh, either because, I mean, you know, nobody knows about somebody else's pain or what they can, you know, right, right, or not. But the problem in that for Kirilov now is that they are a little frustrated, and Larnick's swinging the bat well, and Gallo's swinging the bat well, and there's no urgency for them to not make the point. You know, <laughs> look, we we we're doing fine without you. You want to play or not? Kind of, you know, kind of thing, and. At some point in time, he's going to hit his way up here, most likely. But I think the message has been sent and is continuing to be sent. And in the meantime, Larnick's doing fine. And, and you know, we're going to find out whether he can hit some left-handers. And I just hate to see – I'd hate to see him, you know, relegated at, at this age and this at 500 at-bats uh, to be uh, hitting against right-handers only. That would be a shame. Well, agree. Let, let me ask this question: Are we happy with what Max Kepler is doing right now? No, that no, could be a intriguing thing. There, <laughs> I, I, I don't. No, I agree. I think that's a great question, and and you know we haven't been with you know Max Kepler's performance for a while, and it, and I and you guys have heard me say for years uh, that I I really have kind of felt like Kepler's a uh, a key to the a, a real key to the lineup. Uh, you know what's what's gonna who's who's the real guy? <clears throat> Buxton's gonna hit what he hits if he stays healthy. Correa's gonna hit what he hits. I think Polanco's gonna hit what he hits. Miranda probably as he gets through his second season here, uh, his sophomore jinx potential season, he's he's gonna end up hitting what what he hits, and it's and we just don't know what Max is gonna do uh, other than. You know, other than hit two thirty or something, the way he's he's done that the last the last couple of years. So, I think that's a real valid question, and, um, and 
you know, whether or not uh, Kepler's the one that ought to, uh, you know, just be the de facto right fielder uh, just because he's been here for a while. He's been in the big leagues uh, on a pretty much full-time basis since 2016. His OPS, he's a corner outfielder uh, with power. His OPS has been above 760 just once in 2019, the year he had 36 home runs and everybody was hitting a lot of home runs. His OPS the last four seasons, including this month, 760, 719, 666, and this year 647. Uh, So the the problem for Kepler is uh, this doesn't look like or feel like a just a slow April, which is the way we view it with Correa and Buxton and people like that. This is – a continuation of the player he's been for the last few years. Absolutely. And it, this he has suffered from a lack of hard contact um, ever since 2019. You know, when he tore things up, it, it seems like he can't square up the ball. It, maybe this is more than just a shifting issue uh, because uh, there's no shift right now. Right side of the infields open up for him a little bit more. But um, I don't have his Bob Bip numbers in front of me. I don't have his line drive percentage, but I got to imagine it's not uh, not at a good level with him. And, you know, as we get deeper into the season and we start wondering about where Larner could play, you know, Larner could play right field. <laughs> Definitely. Mm-hmm. He's he's not shabby out there. I'm not saying he's excellent like Kepler, but he's not shabby. And as you get two months into a season and you figure out what you have, teams start making hard decisions. And, Kepler's a month away from being in one of those hard decision groups, as far as I'm concerned. Here's the way this breaks down for me. It breaks down to say, I mean, they, there's been the, def, the kind of using the term de facto again, but there's just been the assumption that we're going we're gonna to play Max in right field because he's such a good defender. And at some point in time, he's going to hit. And now Joey Gallo can play right. I, I, you're not yeah, going to. That's true. That's true. Of defense in right field if Joey Gallo plays right field um, next to. Next to Buxton, and so if you, so the the case for Kepler then becomes, um, it, it's no longer just about superior defense. It's about who's gonna, who do you want offensively? The defense is roughly the same. Then who do you want offensively? Uh, and um, if if Kirilov, I mean Kirilov is probably gonna be better than Kepler offensively. Probably. Yep. Uh, Larnick is has been better than Kepler. So far, you know, this year offensively, and, and to Jim's point, it's not like Kepler's just you know, just down this month. I mean, he's it, it, it's kind of looking like he's always looked. So it comes down to you don't have to play Kepler in uh, in right uh, defensively because Gallo's okay, but who you know Gallo's going to strike out two hundred times, and I mean he's swinging the bat well now, so. I, I think they're a little bit hamstrung because I don't know that they can totally, totally commit to uh, Gallo over uh, over Kepler. So I we're back in the same kind of the same spot. As I'm talking to you, I have my right hand in the air as being guilty because I was highly skeptical of the Gallo signing. I did not like it, um, you know, because you you jettison Sano, who's got 200 strikeout potential, for another guy who has 200 strikeout potential, but. If Joey Gallo's going to hit seven home runs a month, I'll take it. I have, I have no problems with that. If he's going to hit seven a month, put him on the pace for 42, I'll take it. He can play my outfield any day. He's going to be so happy to great defense, If he's going to play good defense and hit over 30, if he hits 30, I'm, I'm in the same yes. camp with you. So uh, they, they don't have to hit him fourth. You know, I mean, it, it, 
the home runs that he hits uh, can be really big from the seventh spot or even the eighth spot. And I just checked Joey Gallo's uh, Twitter handle, and he has updated his description uh, to say Lavelle likes me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Michael Taylor's got to do that, too, for his, because I was ripping Michael Taylor in the press box on opening day. (laughs) He proceeds to start hitting, and um, I'm not saying he's going to be a batting champion, but um, he's at least making some contact at the plate every now and then, so... Uh, he's well, his Lavelle, too. we've known for a long time, back from the days when he used to do picks the click, that basically as soon as we have your preseason predictions, we all should just charter a jet, fly to Vegas, and bet against you in every way possible. And that's my retirement plan, basically. Well, I made my picks to click. What were my picks to click this year? Sonny Gray. Are they still alive? Uh, yes. Sonny Gray and, oh, Christian Vasquez. That's my sneaky uh, pick to click. because That's pretty sneaky. Yeah, because I thought he was going to impact the, the staff in a positive way and provide a little offense. So no, I actually um, like that because I'm just giving you trouble. But yeah. hey, uh, you're, you just gave me a great transition for our last topic for today. Once Uh-oh. again, this is Chin Music, our <laughs> baseball show at TalkNorth.com. We do appreciate you listening. Uh, please, you know, spend your money with our sponsors. Uh, remember to subscribe uh, at your favorite podcast app to this or any of the shows. Of course, we got uh, Viking Update Show and Jeff Diamond's Vikings and NFL Insider for this very interesting week in Vikings history. John Krasinski on the Timberwolves, John Malay on preps. Uh, check it all out. We do appreciate it. So Sonny Gray has been brilliant. Uh, Joe Ryan has been very good. Uh, and now Bailey Ober is coming back. I'm guessing Bailey Ober is going to be back in the rotation here. Let's start with Gray. Uh, what has made Sonny so effective this year so far, uh, Roy? <laughs> command yeah uh, i mean he he's uh, been amazing first of all he starts out with you know five or six pitches if you include fastballs with two movements and you, you include cutter and slider uh, same kind of pitch only slightly different trajectory slightly different speed uh change up um and curveball uh, so he starts with six six different pitches and, and that he has the mentality to to throw any of them at any time any count to any hitter so all of a sudden you know immediately the hitters are on the defensive if he can throw the ball anywhere close to where he has wanted to and so far he he just failed to throw it right where he wants to it, one of the greatest uh, pitcher uh, pitching hitting matchup that the pitcher won that I've seen in a while was Sonny Gray pitching to Aaron Judge the other day, and he threw him mm-hmm. a fastball on the outside corner for a strike, a fastball up and away for a ball, a cutter right on the cut right off the outside corner that Judge swung and missed, and, and then the slider off the cutter, which looked like a cutter, but was three or four miles an hour slower and had more downward to him out, and it was like. It, it, it was like no problem. It was like some rookie hitter up there that had never seen a slider before. I mean, it was incredible. And he backs that up with a two-seam fastball. Then you start off that outside corner and bring it back. Um, guys just – they don't know what to do with them right now. And probably the best pitches in Boston when he didn't have great command, you know, he had inadvertent – or not inadvertent, uh, inconsistent uh, command. It looked like he was about to get knocked out about every inning. And then somehow found a way to throw the perfect pitch at the perfect perfect time in the perfect spot and and got through five innings. I mean, he's just been been terrific. Yeah, it's actually really entertaining to watch him pitch. Um, I'm trying to figure out what pitch he had. He had it. 
I think a cutter. I think he's throwing a cutter. Yeah, look at that. He's throwing a cutter 19% of the time. He had never thrown it that much in about off oh, less since uh, 2018. So uh, he's really increased the use of his cut fastball. And, yeah, if you look at his uh, Fangrass page, there's like five or six different pitches listed <laughs> that he's throwing. So he's, he's pretty unpredictable. As a hitter, you know, with him, which you try to, you're trying to eliminate pitches, and it just ends up being, you know, you end up putting your, your, your mind in the ball like a pretzel because you're, you you got to worry about so much with him, especially if he's commanding it all. And I, I agree with Roy. As soon as Jim asked a question, the first thing that popped to mind was like, this guy's ex- executing pitches. If it needs to be down and away, it's down and away. If it needs to be up and in, it's up and in. You know, uh, if it needs to be upper part of the strike zone, it's there. And I, I just think that he's been able to to to, uh, to uh, his command has been obvious, and he's been able to execute pitches when he needs them to, and it's working right now. So, um, you know, he's motivated. He's a free agent at the at the end of this year. I don't think he's coming back. So this is his opportunity to hit the market and see, you know, what he can get from him. He's motivated to have a good year, and uh, you're seeing he's laid the groundwork. You know, for a really good season where he's going to get notoriety and uh, he'll hit the free agent market running and, and have teams clamoring for him. So um, with Pablo Lopez and, and Joe Ryan, that top three of the that twins rotation is a tough nut to crack, man. And uh, I don't think that's going to let up uh, as we go along either. I tell you what, uh, I think if he pitches like this, the twins will do everything they can to resign him. I don't think they just let him walk away if he's going to pitch like this. I mean, that definitely could happen, but I, usually when these veterans get close to free agency, you know, they want to make that run because this is their shot to be wine and dine and be able to choose where they're going. Um, so it would take uh, it would take a serious commitment uh, from the Twins to probably to get Sonny off thinking that way, I would say. Well, right now he's pitching like Greg Maddox, uh, and you don't want to let Greg Maddox walk away. Uh, so I, I would just be—I would think the Twins would be very competitive in that uh, pursuit, either in season or postseason. Uh, I just the sense I get from Folly and from Joe Polat is, you know, hey, don't 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 pretend we're not willing to spend money. We'll go out. We'll we will sign the players we really want. I think you raise a good point, and that's a conversation for the future too, because uh, yeah. we've seen the Polat family have different views about signing players from Carl to Jim and now the Joe. I think we're seeing you know, a little more willingness to to make financial commitments, you know, to, to keep quality players around. And uh, it seems like the longer the family controls the club, the more willing they are to, you know, to step into these situations. Of course, it helps when they continue to build their empire and they're building skyscrapers and, and they have a diversified portfolio to, to handle any losses. But um, – it seems like Joe is a little more fired up about, you know, locking guys up. So um, we'll see where this goes. And Sonny Gray will be a great uh, litmus test. All right. Let's get a final thought from each of you. Thanks again to Brandon Morton. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services, uh, Minnetonka City Bank, All Energy Solar. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. Uh, who's re- you ready with, with a final thought? Yeah, I did. Just uh, really quickly, we're doing this uh, show on Thursday morning before the Twins open up the uh, four-game series at home to complete the homestand against uh, Kansas City. Kansas City's playing badly. The Twins are a vastly better team, uh, both uh, on the mound and at the plate, and it would be a great time for the Twins to step up and 
now that Polanco is back in the lineup, that to your point earlier, Jim, that and I made the point on the air this all this week, the lineup just feels better. With I mean, it just looks yep. better. But as soon as you get in there, all of a sudden it goes, oh yeah, this is a pretty good looking lineup. And I, I think it's uh, this is the right time for the Twins to kind of make a uh, in front of the hometown fans just make a statement and say, yep, when bet you know with teams that we're they're not because we are coming to this place. We're going to take it to them. Lavelle, when we were discussing uh, bat, possible batting orders at the beginning during spring training, and I suggested Polanco for the leadoff spot um, because I just think he takes good at bats and he's going to work pitches, work counts, um, and most of the time have a positive outcome. Um, um, it was just a matter of getting Polanco back in the lineup. And now that he's here, so Rocco kind of took it easy on him first couple of games, batting like fifth. Um, but I, I just think that he's been a huge key since uh, coming back here, and it's a big development for the bat order because he's a switch hitter that they can plug in anywhere in those top four or five spots and get and get a good at bat, and it'll, he lengthens the lineup definitely. So you know, my thought is that uh, um, the, the Twins are really benefiting from the return of Jorge Polanco, and if he can stay healthy, now I mean setbacks with that knee. He's going, to be, he's going to have a good season, and he's going to mean a lot to that offense. My final thought, just to piggyback on the Sonny Gray discussion, what I love about what he's done this year is when he's been good, he's been phenomenal, and when he's been terrible, he's been great. He's had two starts where he went out there and had nothing. Uh, he had no idea where the ball was going. He didn't seem to have a lot of snap on his pitches. And he pitched almost as well in those outings as he did when he went out there with his full arsenal. That is just such a great thing to watch. Uh, if you're really a baseball fan and you love the art of pitching and the art of thinking through at bats, what Sonny Gray has done in two, two of his lesser starts has been stellar and incredibly valuable to this team. All right. Thank you all. We do appreciate it. Uh, we are hoping and planning to do some live shows here soon. Get Roy out with a bat in his hand, get Lavelle out with a cigar in his hands, uh, chat to y'all face to face. We will be giving you updates uh, on dates and times when we have them finalized. It'll be, it'll be downtown Minneapolis before home twins games. Uh, we'll, we'll again, love to see you out there. We've had a lot of great success across the network doing live shows and getting to know people. So look forward to that. Thanks again to everyone. We'll talk to you soon.